I'd like to go back in time a little bit to a train of thought that started in a shmuz I heard from the Talna Rebbe Shlita back on Parshas Vayetze. And the thoughts kept continuing on into Hanukkah and have a connection to the month of Teves that we just entered as well. In the beginning of Parshas Vayetze, we found that Yaakov Avinu went to sleep. And before he went to sleep, it says, that he took from the rocks in that place and he put them around his head. And he lay down. Now Rashi says, what did he do? He made this construction of rocks in a type of like circle around his head. Because he was afraid of wild animals. Now, the obvious question that a person thinks of if they visualize that is, what will that help? Right? You're lying down in the wilderness, and you've made a circle of rocks around your head. Right? Wild animals aren't usually that fussy about where they start on you if they decide to snack. I once read a whole article about bear attacks, and I, I don't think that the ring of stones would have done much. Rashi brings this. Rashi is the person who's speaking al shot. Now, the Rebbe in his talk with his amazing Bikius managed to connect this all up that he said the phrase wild animals actually refers to Esau right? that, um, there's a Medrash Shochartov, the Medrash on Tehillim talks about the idea of the connection between I will bring peace into the land and cause wild animals to leave the land and the connection to Esau being the Chayaro, which is brought there, is, he is the Sone Sholom. Now, that means that this construction of rocks was part of Yaakov Avinu's spiritual struggle with his brother Esau. Again, Chazal always take the struggle of Yaakov and Esau, his people, into the meta-struggle of Am Yisrael and the opposing forces to Am Yisrael, the Yitzhahara, that dark side that's always trying to come and to attack us. Yaakov Avinu here was leaving, according to the Midrashim of Chazal, a unique period where he spent time in the yeshiva of Shem Ve'ever, there and not sleeping for a tremendous amount of time, totally devoted to the studying that he did there, and now entering that dangerous world outside the walls of the yeshiva, where he's heading toward Lavan, he felt he had to do some action of protection, not in the terms of the physical protection, but around the head, around the head, around the mind. What good does it do for your mind to put rocks around it? Again, it's important to notice, we find many times in Chazal, that people would do a physical action as a representative of the spiritual avodah that they're doing even though that itself isn't accomplishing, but making something real in the physical world makes a decision that you're making, makes a thought process that you're going through that much more real. Rechaim Shemlevitz explained this. A few different examples. One is Paltiel uh, ben Laish, right? When uh, Shaul was in opposition to David HaMelech, he took away his daughter who he had given to David as a wife and gave her to a man, Palti ben Laish, instead. And he knew that she was forbidden to him. He took a sword and he stuck it in the middle of the room. And he says, whoever goes from their side of the room to the other side should be stabbed by a sword. 
Right? Now, a sword does not make a very good barrier, right? if you imagine a sword being stuck in the middle of the room. But as he explained that a person only infrequently has a moment of clarity, and there's an idea of taking that moment of clarity and doing some physical action in the physical world that will make it more real for you. Because otherwise, clarity in the world of thought can dissipate so quickly. If you take some type of physical thing, Yaakov Avinu felt the tremendous danger the world of his mind would be facing in the transition that he was in, and he did a physical action to represent the actions of protection he was attempting to do. This connects to Hanukkah as well. We know that Hanukkah, the struggle between Yovan and Yisrael, Greece and Am Yisrael, was in the realm of Chachmah, in the realm of wisdom, in the realm of the mind. Tim'u kolashmanim, the Svarim say, the Maral talks about the idea of the fact that they made the oils impure is the physical manifestation of making the mind impure, of changing the way the Jew viewed the world, the way the Jew viewed himself. A person has to learn to watch their head, to protect the mind, to protect the thought processes, and to utilize it in the way it's supposed to be utilized. The Mesil Sishorim in the second chapter, where he talks about the concept of zihirus, of being careful, that a person has to pay attention to what he's doing, mice of his actions, in of things he's involved in, things he's thinking in. He has to be misbonin mufakeach al drochov, mice You have to think ahead and you have to real time supervise the things that you're doing to see hatovim heim olo. To be able to see, do these things fit my value system or not? Am I applying my mind as a filter to the things I'm involved in, the things that I'm doing? Am I asking, is this right for me? Is it something I should continue? Is it something I should stop? And he says, this is an intellectual imperative. He says, the fact that you have such an ability obligates you to use it. He says, an animal was created with instincts. Animals have instincts from the time that they're very young to know how to protect themselves. Most animals will not do things that are foolishly stupid. They will avoid danger very quickly. If you're ever walking in the woods and you see a deer and you step on a twig and it cracks, that deer's off. He's not sitting around to see, interview you. You know, are you a hunter? Are you an animal lover? Right? Do you like venison or not? Right? He's gone. Right? That person is a potential danger, and that's built in. It's hardwired into that animal. And we see that in so many ways. Human beings don't have that. Human beings don't have such self-preservation instincts, and we often do things which are abysmally stupid. Right? And uh, there are people who amuse themselves nowadays by watching endless videos of people doing things abysmally stupid. If you don't believe that it happens, right? you can see, see that happen. And did HaKadosh Baruch Hu really leave us defenseless? The answer is no. He gave us something much better. He gave us the seichel. He gave us the mind. And we're supposed to utilize that mind, and that mind is not hardwired. It's able to be much more discerning. It's able to think ahead, it's able to examine, it's able to look back, it's able to introspect, it's able to evaluate, and that enables us to chart a path for our lives which are much more complex than the life the animal has to do. The fact that he's given that to you is an imperative to use it, to protect it and to use it. 
If you don't, he says, so then you've entered a realm lower than the animals because you don't have the instincts and you haven't used that which you've been given. Now, why is it we don't use it? Why is it that a person doesn't use this, this midah that he calls the midah of Zahirus, the midah of being careful? And as one person once phrased it, by the time you get to be middle age, you have a dent in your forehead by the times you went like, oh no, right? About all the things that we did without thinking. That's when we get in trouble. Those are the things in which so many times we know what we would want to do. We know our set of values, but we don't act on them. We don't avoid the things we should avoid. We do things we shouldn't do. Why does that happen? So one of the reasons that the Masil Yishayim points out is the idea that we're overloaded. He calls it hatipul v'hatirda olamis. We're involved in too many things. We're distracted by too many things. People phrase it nowadays, they'll say, I don't have the bandwidth. right? I, I don't have the bandwidth to deal with this. And it's true. Our bandwidth is overloaded by too many things. But oftentimes we're at fault. Oftentimes we are overloading the mind and not with necessarily good things in terms of time, in terms of how many things we're thinking about or involved in to the extent that that tremendous tool which is the mind is not able to be used. He brings the example of Paro. Paro, when he saw that the Jews are suddenly complaining and wanting to leave, said, Nirpim ha'am nirpim. These people are too slack, a bunch of slackers, right? Make sure, give them more work. Don't let them be thinking these false thoughts about getting out of Egypt and rebelling against me. The Messiah Zisharim says that that model is the model the Yetzirah uses with us all the time. If a person has time to think, a little bit of time to introspect, a time to ask himself some basic questions. Who am I? What am I doing here? What should I be doing? What do I hope to achieve? What things should I do? What things should I avoid? What things can I correct from the past? What can I be doing in the future? If a person would have time to do that, the Yetzirah can't stand up against that. There's a puzzling Gemara that says that if a person is tempted by a sin to the extent that he knows that he's going to do it. It's a horror has got him. He's going to do this sin. So the Gemara says he should dress up. It says there, Yubashcharim, wear black clothes, but the uh, implication is clearly to somehow disguise himself and to travel a place where no one knows him and to do the sin, do the Avera. So the Mepharshim all explode over that. Can it be that the Gemara is writing a prescription for leading some hypocritical double life and doing these things? One of the explanations for it is that it's, it's simply going to put an element of time in there and then a person will start to think and the Yitzhahara can't stand up to that. If you have a bit of time, because you have a Jew, right? he looks too Jewish, he wants to do this Averis, so first of all he has to figure out how to disguise himself. Right? The traditional Jewish disguise is a baseball cap, which is a magical thing, that even if you speak Yiddish and have a beard down to your knees, if you put on a Baltimore Orioles cap, you assume that nobody knows that you're Jewish, and you're always shocked if they somehow guess. Right? But here you may need something even more elaborate, and you have to speak to a travel agent and find out where you're going to go, where nobody will know you. In between, you're putting on your tefillin, and you're davening shachris minchen Marev. You're not going to do that over Right, a, a Jewish soul, a Jewish mind. The question comes: Who are you? What are you doing? Right, you, 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 what, you can't stand up to it. 
So this idea of time, of having the bit of time to be able to look and introspect, will defeat that paro, that king, who is the Yetzirah. In Rome, they used a similar tactic. They had the famous question in Rome. They had a small nobility living in beautiful mansions that you can still visit in Italy. And you had the serfs doing the hard work, earning very little. And the concern was, what if the serfs one day say, why are we living like this? Why don't we take our hammers and chisels and sticks and go up to the big villa there and bop the nobility on the head and take all the stuff they have and enjoy it? Right? Again, something that came with communism later on as well. So their tactic was called bread and circuses. Famous tactic, bread and circuses. Number one, you had to make sure that people had what to eat, that they were not hungry. Hungry people are angry people, right? And they start to think all sorts of thoughts. Important tactic for yeshivas as well. We try to get good food, right? And circuses means when they do have free time, you want to occupy their mind in the free time. You want to give them something. So they built big stadiums, and you throw a few slaves in there to run around, and you let in the lions, and everybody gets to watch the inevitable end of the slaves and the snack for the lions, and you have a good night's entertainment, and you go home and go to sleep and get up to slave labor the next day. The combination of bread and circuses will numb the mind so that they won't be thinking all of these revolutionary thoughts. The Yitzhahara, he says, does this to us as well and stops us from thinking those basic thoughts, asking those basic questions that can be life changers for us. Not just life changers, but life preservers. Those things that can end up saving us in the times and tides of life. I once heard from a person who absorbed much from the tradition of the Bali Musar. His father wrote the classic work on uh, the history of the Musar movement, Tnuasa Musar, Dov Katz. So his son, Rabbi Yaakov Katz, told us, he said, the concept that many yeshivas have of a Musar Seder, of having a little bit of time in which you learn Musar, he says, it's really not about learning a Sefer. It's not about learning a book. Right? It's not saying, what book are you learning in Musar Sefer? The Sefer that you're learning is really just an, an aid to asking yourself those basic questions. The idea of Musar Seder is having a little bit of time during the day in which you remind yourself of those basic questions. Who am I? What am I doing here? Where am I going? What am I supposed to do? What shouldn't I be doing? A little bit of time to do that, to create within your mind, first of all, a clarity of your own values. A a reminder to yourself of who you are. And then that creates a filter that you can refer back to during the day of checking in and saying, as the Mesil Sishayim says, Hatovim Hemolo, are the things I'm about to do, is this something I classify as good or not? What are the repercussions here? Where is it going to lead us to? This is the task that we're supposed to have in utilizing the mind, and hopefully if we have the right mind, we'll be able to do it. The problem is, if a virus gets into the source code itself, if the actual mind itself becomes corrupted. Once that happens, so then you're in big trouble. Right? In other words, let's take a GPS as a simple example of something that can guide the blind, like me. I'm 
geographically challenged, as many people here know, and I love the GPS, but it's frightening if you could imagine a hacker getting into my GPS, I would cluelessly be driving into Syria, right, wondering why all the signs are in Arabic, and I'm not in Bnei Brak like I thought I would be, right? It's, uh, if something goes in there to corrupt the machine, Hanukkah was about that concept of protecting the mind, of the machine itself getting corrupted. V'timu kolashmanim, of the mind itself becoming influenced and corrupted to the extent that the values of good and bad were transformed. And the original Jewish values of what were good and bad were hacked into by Greece and replaced by something else. This is why the Svasema said a fascinating thing. The initial takana of lighting Hanukkah candles was on the outside, by the entrance to your door. It says in the Gemara that in a time of danger, they changed the format of lighting Hanukkah and they said in such a time, you can simply light it on your table in your home and that's enough. There's a disagreement in how this is implemented today. Some poskim decided, especially here in Israel, since we've returned to Israel and there isn't the danger that was referred to in those times, people should light outside again, and many do. But you find many among Hasidic communities, the Sephardic communities, who still light in the table inside, even if you have that situation which isn't the danger that they were talking about. The Svasemis explains why was that, he says, because when they said move it inside because of the danger, it wasn't a temporary change. They saw that something had shifted in the battlefield. Something had changed. That previously, the lines of battle were demarcated at the door of the Jewish home. The Jewish home was sacrosanct. The Jewish home was a place of purity. It was a place of values. The outside world was a challenge to it. The Ner Hanukkah stood in that gateway to protect and to give light and understanding and to filter what comes into your home? He said what the Chachamim saw was that as often happens in times of battle, the walls were breached. And now the battle is going on inside the home itself. The door of the home is no longer the protection. Now the battle is there in the home itself. And you need the Ner Hanukkah inside the house. This is a reality that we're facing as well. So much comes in. We're inundated by so much information of all types, by sources oftentimes that we can't even identify. Images of all things, opinions on all things, through every outlet in our house, and we don't even need outlets anymore. Right? It comes in from satellites, from the air, from every place, and we're constantly, constantly, constantly being involved in it. On one hand, we have the problem of the bread and circuses, that nobody has time anymore to have a little bit of quiet time alone to think and introspect. Right? People are on their phones on the top of Mount Everest. Right? If you don't have enough reception, you get a special satellite phone, you're connected everywhere in the jungle. Time zones don't matter. If the people in your time zone are asleep, start texting to somebody in another time zone. Right? If you don't even have anybody to talk to, you put the headphones in. You have endless things to listen to and to watch and to play. And we're overloaded. We're inundated. That's one aspect. But then the quality of what's coming in there's no filter on it. It can affect us in so many ways. What we view as beautiful and what we view as ugly. 
what's true, what's false. We're constantly getting changed and involved. That's where the battleground is nowadays. He put a protection around his head. Yaakov Avinu, going out into the house of Lovon. And the Svarim say that Yaakov Avinu's travels into these deep, dark places were to prepare the way for us, his future children in history, who would end up in very deep, dark places, and to prepare the steps that would be necessary for us to survive. Protection. Some kind of wall, some kind of protection there, so that you can determine, remain who you are, that your mind is yours, and that you'll be able to and should be able to use it. Asar Beteves comes as a very interesting series of what was once three fast days, right? a great diet tool, the 8th, ninth, and 10th of Teves. We won't speak about the ninth right now. That's the more mysterious of the three days that were there. It's described in Megillus Tainus. The eighth day was because of the translation of the Torah into Greek. Right? That translation, which the Chachamim were forced to translate the Torah into Greek, was viewed by the Chachamim as a day of great tragedy. It brought darkness into the world. The tenth of Teves was when Melech Bovel, the king of Bovel, put Yerushalayim in siege. Both of these are puzzling. What was so bad about the translation? And relatively, what's so bad about the siege? In other words, it seems strange to have a fast day for the siege that started off the process of the destruction, when later in the summer we have the fast day over the destruction itself. The siege would become inconsequential at that point. So I heard from my Rebbe Rishai Steinberger, who said that you have to realize that the two are one and the same. A translation of Torah, especially when it's done for negative motives, right? They differentiate between the translations of Unculus and Targum Yonason and even Art Scroll, which are there to help Jews get their way into the world of Torah and access Torah. This translation was there to lead Jews outwards, right? It was, it was there to lead Jews outwards. And that translation brought darkness because they said the Torah can't be mistargen called Sercha. It can't be translated properly, and therefore it became limited. It was not the Torah as it really is, as it should be in its majesty. It was a limitation of Torah. Yerushalayim, the idea of having the city of Yerushalayim, means that it is authentically us. Rav Hirsch explains that the word ir in Hebrew, the word for city, is from the same root as hisorus, as an awakening that the city is supposed to express the awakening of all that's inside the nation. Makes you worry about some nations when you look at their capital cities. But um, this, is, this is what's supposed to be. Yushalayim in siege, just in siege, not destroyed, not taken over, just in siege, is not what it should be. It's surrounded by someone else who determines what goes in and what goes out. Once that's there, it's not Yushalayim anymore. It's perhaps the opposite of Yaakov Avinu's ring of stones around his head. That was Yaakov Avinu creating his city of the mind, so to speak. Here, they took their siege, and they took our city and made it theirs, and made it determine what would be. The time that a person spends in yeshiva is really meant to be that time in which you can cultivate the mind, enable it to grow and become the mind of a Jew, the mind that's formed by Torah, so that then when you go out, it will guide you in those decisions you have to make. That you'll have it, that you'll be able to do it. 
A lot of that is spent by enveloping ourselves in the learning as we do. Sometimes a person looks, how many pages of Gemara am I going to learn? Right? What am I really going to be able to understand? But your very involvement in that process transforms the mind, transforms your sensibilities. It gives you a different associative world. But that's if you let it. It's very important that we have the rocks around our head, that we somehow watch our head, especially when we're in yeshiva, to be able to allow that process to happen. If we bring in too many things, and especially the quality of things which we bring in, if they're antithetical to what we're doing, so then the mind will become hacked, corrupted, have viruses in it. And then even the Torah that you're studying won't work the way it's supposed to, and you won't see it the way you're supposed to see it. It doesn't mean being ignorant. It means focusing, being able to do. The Rambam speaks about Lele Teves Harukim. The month of Teves is when you have very long nights. It used to be that your work they finished when it got dark. Right? We worked by natural light. You were out on your farm. You were doing what you were doing. It got dark. So in the winter, the nights are very long. What are they for? There used to be an ad when I was a kid. The nights are made for Michelob. Right? What kind of beer. The Rambam said the nights are made for Torah. Right? That's what he said. The nights of Teves are there. The long nights of Torah. And uh, it's a time in which a person is able to utilize it and focus it. Chazal knew about the danger of empty time. They say in Pirkeiovos, Haneir Balailo, when a person's awake at night, Hamahalich Baderch Yechidi, when you're traveling someplace all alone, Umefana Libo Levatala, Mefana means you consciously put your mind into empty, useless things, Harezim Ischayev Benafsho, you're liable for your life because you've taken that which is most precious for you, you've taken those opportunities. And it doesn't even say he's not learning Torah at that time. But he's, he's putting it into nothingness. He can do something productive with it. Those little times are the times that you can use for that introspection. If HaKadosh Baruch gives you certain spaces in life, you can use those to recharge, to refresh, to remind yourself of who you are and what you are. If we manage to do that, if we use the gift that HaKadosh Baruch gives us in the right way, so then we'll have a higher enenu secha. HaKadosh Baruch will lighten our eyes with the Torah and eventually we'll see the rebuilding of Yerushalayim with Or Chodesh HaTzion Torah.